great to, uh, to be with, with all of you this morning. Uh, my name's Claude, and uh, me and my wife are the lead pastors here at Centerway, and uh, excited to uh, share out of God's Word. If you are here for the first time, just to give you a little bit of a heads up, um, if you do sign up for those devotionals, you'll have connections, uh, links to our podcasts of the other weeks that we've spoken. Um, or if you're not interested in that, you can also check out uh, the podcast in general by having a conversation uh, probably with Dan, who's back there by the camera, if you want, because I think that's probably the best way to do it, because our website is not live yet. Um, <clears throat> to give you an idea, though, the series is called uh, Content of Contentment. We're talking about the contents of contentment, and uh, we're actually in week seven, and what it is is it's a series through uh, the book of Philippians, and so we're excited to be able to have the opportunity to, to move through Philippians today. Uh, we're actually talking out of chapter three, and uh, as we talk through chapter three, I'm actually going to uh, read the entire chapter. Outstanding. So everything will be projected behind me so you can follow along. Otherwise, just enjoy. Paul says this, uh, the Apostle Paul wrote um, the book of Philippians, as we've said in past weeks, to a church in Philippi, so a church that he planted some 10 years prior. He's in a Roman prison and he's writing this. Finally, my brothers, rejoice in the Lord. To write the same things to you is no trouble to me and is safe for you. Look out for the dogs. Look out for the evildoers. Look out for those who mutilate the flesh. For we are the circumcision who worship by the Spirit of God and glory in Christ Jesus and put no confidence in the flesh, though I myself have reason for confidence in the flesh also. If anyone else thinks he has reason for confidence in the flesh, I have more. Circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, as to the law, a Pharisee, as to zeal, a persecutor of the church, as to righteousness under the law, blameless. But whatever gain I had, I count as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as lost because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. For his sake, I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ and be found in him. Not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and may share his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, that by any means possible, I may attain the resurrection from the dead. Not that I have already obtained this or am already perfect, but I press on to make it my own because Christ Jesus has made me his own. Brothers, I do not consider that I have made it my own, but one thing I do, Forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead, I press on toward the goal of the pri for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Let those who are mature think this way, and if in anything you think otherwise, God will reveal that also to you. Only let us hold true to what we have attained. Brothers, join in imitating me, and keep your eyes on those who walk according to the example you have in us. For many of whom I have often told you and now tell you, even with tears, walk as enemies of the cross of Christ. Their end is destruction. Their God is their belly. And the glory in their shame, sorry, and they glory in their shame with minds set on earthly things. But our citizenship is in heaven. 
And from it, we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly body to be like his glorious body by the power that enables him even to subject all things to himself. So if you've never read a chapter of the Bible, you can't say that anymore. <laughs> Let's open in a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, we're thankful. We're thankful that you choose to inhabit the praises of your people, that you're here in this place. And so, Lord, I pray that as we uh, navigate through your scripture, that we would have an encounter with you, the living God, and that we would leave this place forever marked by it. In your name we pray. Everyone said, amen. Amen. So I don't know how many of you have ever um, been on a sporting team uh, or have run any type of race or anything like that. Uh, I ran some track in high school. Um, I wasn't technically on the team. Um, I was just pretty fast. And the, the gym teacher was talking to me one day about some of the times that I had set up through the normal gym. And he said, hey, would you like to come out and run track? And I was like, well, I don't know if I can. I had a lot going on. I wanted to play some other sports. And he said, no, no, no. I just mean come out and, and race on the days that we have a race. And I thought, wow, that will make me really popular with the other people on the team that have practiced all week. Uh, so uh, I actually had no thought of that at all. I just thought, sure, why not? And so that's what I kind of did. I was just sort of cherry picked onto the team. And so whenever uh, my schedule allowed, I would show up and run in races. And uh, I did a lot of outdoor running. And uh, one of the things that kind of happened or morphed into a situation where when there was a specific race he needed, he would ask me to come and fill that specific race. And there was an issue uh, going into indoor where he said, hey, listen, I know it's a little longer than you typically do, but we have a two, two by 200, which would be typical, so a 200. Um, we have a 200, a two, uh, four by 200, and so if I'm saying things that make no sense, uh, 200 meters and a 200 meter race, and then a four by 200 means that you hand off a baton and there's four people running each leg of that race, okay? And so uh, I would either run the 200, the 4x200, the 400, or the 4x400, all right? And you need to understand that because of what I'm going to tell you this morning. <laughs> we were going into indoor, and I'd never run indoor. I'd only been outdoor. And he said, hey, I really need you for this race, and uh, we're missing some people for uh, the relays, and so I need you to come. I was like, sure, no problem. I'll do what I can, but I might get there late. No problem, no problem. I show up, and uh, it's indoor. I'm running late. There was a whole mess of issues going on that are hardly worth our time. In either case, I run in, and they're giving me a uniform because I didn't have a, an indoor track uniform, and so I need to change into that. And they're like, you're the first race up. And I was like, I'm the first race? And they're like, yeah, and we want you to, to run lead. And I was like, outstanding. And so normally I'd run anchor or something, but they wanted to get a, a lead. I guess I don't really know. It didn't make sense in my mind until till some details you're going to find out. So there were some things that didn't make sense. Why I would run lead instead of anchor. And also why when I got down to the track, the coach was looking at me and goes, so you're good? You good? And I was like, yeah, yeah. And he's like, you sure? I'm like, yeah. Thinking, what? why is he like so concerned? I get it. Like I'm late and I have to get my uniform on. He assumed I knew something that I didn't. And you'll find out in a moment. <laughs> we get out on the track, and uh, I have the baton, and I look around, and there's nobody in the, on the track. And so normally, a 4 by 200 I would have other people on the track to hand off to immediately because uh, it's a 400-meter track. And so I'm looking, and I'm, there's nobody across the thing. So in my mind, I'm like, okay, I'm running the 400. So I'm doing one full lap. So no problem. Ready? Gun goes off. I take off 
boom, I make the first turn and there's nobody around me. And I'm like, I am the man. And so I come around and I come around and I look and no, I mean, there's like nobody and people are looking at me like I am a God. They're like, oh, right. I come around the last turn and I'm thinking, I am destroying this. Am I like setting some type of school record or something? There's no way I'm running this fast. And when I come around that last turn, there are people coming around that first bend. I'm like, oh my goodness. And so no one's in the chute to to take the baton. And so I'm yelling at my team, come on, get out here, get out here. And they're yelling at me and I don't know what they're saying. I assume they're singing my praises because this is a catastrophic disaster. I've destroyed everyone on there. And then the unthinkable happens, a bell rings. Now, if you've ever run track and, you know, based on no one being horrified right now, you probably haven't, the bell rings when it's the last lap, which means I've been put in not the 200, not the 400, but I am in the 800 meter race, which means I have one full lap to go and I am done. I have outrun everybody because everyone else was pacing themselves. They were looking at me in amazement, not out of me, like, you're going to keep that pace for 800 meters? You're incredible. And I'm thinking, no, I'm done. And so I'm coming through and I'm sitting there. I'm like, oh my gosh, what am I going to do? And so people are screaming, go run. And I'm like, uh, I don't think I have anything left. And so I'm, I'm trying to move and keep moving and I'm kind of jogging. I'm doing a slow jog and in my mind. I'm thinking, I don't have anything left to do a whole nother 400 meters. I come around the bend as I come around the bend. Now everyone's starting to catch up to me. I'm like, this is horrifying. This is the worst case scenario. Like I was supposed to go out and then I'm just replaying in my mind. The coach being like, you good? You good? You should sure? Like, can you do the 800? Basically what he's saying, you know, and people are like, I don't know what else I was supposed to tell you, but here's your uniform. Like, yeah, I want that kid dead. But, and and so I'm coming around the bed. And if you've ever run indoor, then you kind of are prepared for what is happening inside of me either. I had never run indoor. So what it felt like to me is I was breathing through a straw. It's like, I'm like, I can't, I got nothing left. And so I'm just sweating like crazy. I'm feeling sick. I'm coming around the, the last turn. And as I'm, I mean, not the last in the first turn, I see people starting to, to come past the finish line and uh, they're starting their second lap and I'm coming around and they're starting to catch up with me and I'm basically doing this embarrassing jog and I'm just thinking in my mind, I'm like that guy, like that guy that thought he could run fast and ran really fast and then everyone caught up to him except for in indoor, like everybody's sitting in the bleachers and they're all watching me like, you're an idiot. You know, and I'm like, oh my gosh. And so I'm just huffing and puffing and I'm jogging and I'm thinking, I don't think I can finish this, but just don't stop. Like if you stop, that's worse, right? And then I'm like, is it? And then, and then I start thinking, hamstring, right? Can I just be like, oh my gosh, yeah, hamstring fall. Oh, I was so fast. I was about to set a state record. I mean, it's, I'm thinking of all the reasons why I can just stop this and call it quits and save face. And instead I'm thinking, I can't do that. Like I've already slowed down, so I can't pretend an injury now. And I was like, well, I just, I can't, I can't stop running because nothing's worse in indoor track than having somebody be like, yeah, I'm just going to walk. I'm just going to walk this out. You know, so I was like, don't, don't walk. And I'm thinking, I might crawl. Are you kidding me? I may not make this. And so now I can hear people hitting their, their track and they're coming up on me. And I'm like, oh, my Lord, this is devastating. And so I just, out of sheer pride and effort, I just start running as hard as I can. I'm like, well, my muscles probably have it. I just don't have it in my breath. And so I start running and running and, and I start to push forward a little bit. And then I realize, yeah, my legs don't have it. Like I'm pretty done. I'm pretty really done. And, uh, 
People start coming up, and one guy passes me on the right, and he goes, heads up. I was like, you dirtbag. <laughs> heads up. Really, that happened? So then it's just anger. Like, anger fills me, and then I start thinking, I'm just going to pretend that I'm going to kill that guy, and I'm going to chase him to kill him. And so I start running after him as hard as I can, and it's just pride and anger and fury, and that only lasts for a little while before the adrenaline starts running out. And so we're coming around the last turn, and I just decide I'm going to give it everything I got. I'm running as hard as I can. There's a, my teammate is in the shoot now and they're like screaming. I'm thinking if he runs away from me, so help me God, I'm going to, when I catch him, I'm going to kill him. And so I'm like, you know, making motions, like don't run hard. And he's like, Oh, trust me. I know. Just make it to me, you know? And so I'm running as hard as I can, as hard as I can. I've got everything I've got. I'm pushing, pushing. This guy comes up and I'm like, head up, you know, like, yeah, I said it kind of, you know? And, And so I literally passed this guy in a feat of like, like glorious, I don't know. And everyone's like screaming and yelling. And I go past this guy, I go into the shoot and the guy starts running from me. I'm like, eh. and so I hand off the, the baton and I fall to the ground as if I'm an Olympian. I don't really know. <laughs> I fall to the ground and, I, and, and everybody's like, keep moving, keep moving. You're going to get sick. And it was too late. I just threw up like everywhere. And, and honestly, what was happening as I'm coming into the shoot, I'm actually trying to be like, don't, have other things come out of other places because I have pushed everything I've got and I'm literally losing my faculties. And so when I fall to the ground, there's just vomit and I'm not, I don't even have the strength to be like, and I'm a violent vomiter. Not that you need to know that, but I'm super. And at this point it's just running out of me. And so I'm laying there and I'm on my back. And so it's running out and up into my nose and in my ears. You're welcome. Everybody, if if you're a real visual person, you're welcome. I've just blessed you amazingly. But I'm rolling around, and I can't even stand. I can't stand. I'm done. I gave it all. I laid it all out there, and uh, and the teammate had to come out and help me up, and they're trying to clean up my vomit as the other people are coming around the race. And, And I'm sitting there as I get to the side, and I'm kind of huffing and puffing and vomit everywhere, and... uh, and one of, my, one of the guys on the team comes over and goes, uh, so is it worth it? I just look at him like, what? And, and he's like, I'm just, just wondering if it's worth it, man. And I'm like, no, I don't think it's worth it. He's like, I totally would have faked a hammy. And then as he walks by, I was like, yeah, I hear that. I hear that. The point is, we all run in life. We're all running. Every single one of us is running our race. The question is, what are we pursuing? And that's what I want to ask you this morning. What are you pursuing? I went through a whole list of things in my mind as I'm running. Am I, am I trying to win this race? Well, it's a team race. And so I'm, I'm doing it for not myself, for my team. And then I'm doing it for pride. And then I'm doing it out of anger. And, and there's all these things that are happening within me that are part of this pursuit. And so this morning regardless of whether you're a committed Christ follower or you're a Christ skeptic, regardless of who you are in the room this morning, we all have something in common. We're all running a race. We're all running a race. In fact, even uh, people outside these walls would claim that your life is the rat race, right? Just doing the rat race. And, And it's because all of us are pushing towards something. The question really is, what are you pursuing? What are you pursuing? I want to submit to you this morning that our ability to pursue is connected to our confidence. Our ability to pursue anything in this world is connected to our confidence. 
And, and as I was running that race, my confidence in my strength, my confidence in my ability to breathe, my confidence in all these, they're all wavering. And so I'm going through all these thoughts and these tensions in my mind and these decisions to make and this frustration and disappointment and anger. And, and my confidence is wavering. And so I, I ask you another question this morning. What is your confidence in? If your ability to pursue is connected to confidence, then what really is your confidence in? Some of us in this room, our, our confidence is in our ability to, to provide for our family. And then when we can't, all of a sudden, is the pursuit worth it? And our confidence wavers, and we're filled with all these lies. And some of us, our confidence is in our marriage or in how other people perceive us. And... And regardless of who you are and where it is that your confidence comes in, Paul says in verse 4 something interesting. He says this, he says, Though I myself have reason for confidence in the flesh also, if, ever, if anyone else thinks he has a reason for confidence in the flesh, I have more. I think it's interesting that Paul talks about this because he's really talking about uh, confidence in the flesh in the sense of our own ability. And more often than not, that's where we all land. That's where we all land in this world is, is the confidence comes from ourselves. And even if you're super uber spiritual in the room, you're like, oh, my confidence is in the Lord and my ability to follow him. <laughs> and so our confidence is often in ourselves. And, and Paul goes in verse four, talking about this reality of confidence in the flesh. And there's some dynamic that's happening in Philippi. And so I'm going to cue you into it so you can understand the context. The, the situation here is Philippi is, uh, is populated by a lot of Gentiles. Okay. And so as people are coming to faith, uh, Christian faith is being perceived as a uh, Jewish convert faith that is now being opened to the Gentiles. And that was a dynamic in the early church that you can read about. But the, the thing that matters here in Philippi is that people are looking at these Gentiles that are coming to the relationship with Christ. And as this church is growing, they're layering things on top of what's required. Oh, you want to be a, a Christ follower? You want to know Jesus? Well, you just have to do this also. And so one of the issues of the day is circumcision. And so the Gentiles were not circumcised at birth early on like Jewish kids were, males. And so they're looking at these Gentile converts and they're saying, listen, if you really want to, to be a part of this church, you're going to have to get circumcised. We think that there's issues with trying to share our faith nowadays. <laughs> Imagine that, you know. Um, and so there, there's these, these layers of things that are being put on. And and Paul's looking at the church in Philippi and he's saying, listen, you can have confidence in your ability to work hard. You can have confidence in uh, leaning in and earning your own salvation. You have confidence in all this flesh. You have confidence in the fact that you're circumcised and all that stuff. But listen to this. If anybody can have confidence in flesh, it's me. And then he goes through verses 5 through 6 and he literally goes through a litany of reasons why he's rather impressive. And I, I love that he does it, honestly, because he removes all doubt of, of anything in the sense that he says, like, listen, I'm not just kind of like a good Jewish boy. I'm not just like kind of educated. Let me go through the list for you. And so he says right there in the beginning part, 
of verse 5 going on through to verse 6. He says, I'm, I was circumcised on the eighth day. In other words, you guys, you, you think you're you know, special by the fact that you did adult circumcision, but I want to tell you, I was circumcised on the eighth day according to Genesis chapter 17. Like, I'm the real deal since birth. I was circumcised. And, and it goes even beyond that. He says, of the people of Israel. In other words, I'm a physical descendant of Abraham. Like, if anybody's going to try to pull their racial card here, just, just so you know, I'm actually a physical descendant of Abraham. And then, hmm, on top of that, of the tribe of Benjamin. And so what that might not mean to a lot of people in this room, what it meant to those people is the, the, the tribe of Benjamin was a, a distinguished tribe. It wasn't a, uh, it wasn't a disrespected Israelite tribe. You see, there was a break in the kingdom at some point. If you look into the, the history and you go back into the book of, uh, of Chronicles and back into the book of Kings and you just look into uh, the, the dynamic of what happened in the kingdoms, you'll, you're going to see that there's a split where uh, Judah and Israel split and Judah and Benjamin remain loyal to the Davidic destiny that ultimately is the line of Christ. And so he's saying, listen, it's not, it's not just that I'm Jewish and a son of Abraham. I'm also from the tribe of Benjamin. And so pretty impressive stuff, I'm telling you. And uh, besides that, you know, the, the tribe of Benjamin actually took the territory where the holy city was in. And so Jerusalem is actually located in the territory that belongs to Benjamin. And so there's, he's saying some pretty impressive lineage details to these people. But he even goes on and he says, I, I'm a Hebrew of Hebrews as to the law of Pharisee. And what he's saying with a Pharisee actually has a, a pretty positive connotation here in the sense that he's saying, I'm as strict of a Jewish person as you can be. I am morally superior. So not only do I have all the right genes, but I also am really good at knowing the law and obeying the law. I'm really rather impressive. In fact, as to zeal, I'm a persecutor of the church. So I'm so good in Jewish upbringing that when this whole thing started with Christianity and Jesus, I was a persecutor of the church. In fact, he, he stood guard over the cloaks as Stephen, the first martyr, was killed before him. Like, he persecuted, he hunted down Christians. He's like, listen, I'm as Jewish as it gets. And he goes on even further, and he says, as to righteousness under the law, blameless. Now, that doesn't mean that he's never sinned. What he's saying is, I never committed a public breaking of the law. No one can ever say, oh, wait, Paul, but you did. Nope blameless. In other words, in front of everyone else, I lived the perfect life. Now we know he's human and so he fell short, but what Paul is saying here is saying, listen, if it's possible to earn salvation via ritual, ethnicity, rank, tradition, rule-keeping, zeal, obedience to the law, if that's possible, I could do it. I'm your guy. Like if it was physically possible, I'm the guy that does it. And then he goes on in verse 7 through 8, and he says, But whatever gain I had, I count it as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. He's saying, if you try to justify yourself through your own works, it's legalism. You can't earn a gift. And so listen, when you add to the gospel, you lose the gospel. 
When you say, hey, here is, here's Jesus. Here's what it is that he's done on a cross. Jesus lived the perfect life that you could never live. And he died the death that you deserve. And so you can receive that and just do this too. The minute you add, you lose. In fact, sometimes we think, and maybe this is some of us in this room, I know that I struggled with it. I thought, you know what? If I could just be good enough first, then I could walk into church with confidence. Like if I could just figure out some of my mess, then it'd be easier to matriculate into this room full of what appear to be perfect people. And then certainly I'll fit in, right? And it's laughable on a lot of levels because if you're in this room, you're like, yeah, I'm kind of jacked up. So if that's the rule, I'm out. And that's what Paul is saying. Paul's like, listen, nobody's perfect. The one that was perfect came and died the death that you deserve. And so what we should be doing is striving towards knowing Christ. Paul says, you hear all that impressive stuff about me? It's rubbish compared to knowing Christ. Because he goes on with verse 8, indeed, I count everything as lost because of the surpassing worth of knowing Jesus, my Lord. For his sake, I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ. Rubbish. It's all garbage. All the perfect things I tried to do doesn't add up. All my best efforts, all the rule keeping, all the perfect church attendance, all the tithe, all the I always served, I did everything I could, I leaned in, all the behavior modification stuff, all the best efforts, garbage. He uses some strong language that I don't want to be crass, but he's talking about some legit garbage, trash, no good stuff. Not knowing about Jesus, but he says it's rubbish compared to knowing Christ. Knowing Christ. Knowing Jesus, my Lord. I think oftentimes in Christian circles, we get wrapped up in knowing about Jesus. But we don't often really know Jesus. Because you can come to church your whole life and learn a lot of head knowledge about who Christ is, but if it doesn't inform your life, if you don't know the Savior, then you just know of someone. I'm a baseball fan, and I like the Baltimore Orioles. I'm smirking because I feel like I'm kind of, it's kind of a harmless team to like. Everybody's like, oh, that's nice. Because <laughs> we don't really hurt anyone. Um, one of my favorite players is, is Cal Ripken Jr. He's retired now, and he's the Iron Man, holds the record for most consecutive games played, and just impressed with him in a lot of ways, but I don't know him. I know about him. I can tell you stuff till you're like, I don't care. You probably don't care about what I've already told you about him, <laughs> right? Like, you don't but I can know of him, but I don't know him. I don't know him. And you see the difference? Like, we can know a lot about Jesus. We can be a Pharisee. We can, we can have all the head knowledge. In fact, we can even try the behavior modification game that will crush us, where we just try to act the part over and over and over again. But if, if it's not informed by knowing God, then it doesn't matter. So I ask you this morning, do you know Jesus? Are you pursuing him? 
Because you can't just say you know the God of the universe, the end. I can't. I married my wife some almost 20 years ago now. It would be absurd on the, on the night that we were married to be like, well, you know, now I know you, so let's just, you know, live life together. Every day after 20 years, we're knowing more and more about each other. All the time. It's ongoing. It's not a one and done. And so you can't say, oh, yes, I know Jesus. Are you pursuing him? Are you allowing him to, to reorient your life, to mess you up daily? You see, one of the biggest traps that we can have when we talk about pursuit is the pursuit of being a good person. It runs rampant in society today. If you have a conversation with someone about faith, they're like, oh, but I mean, I, I want to be politically correct. And, you know, um, you know, your spirituality, it's a private thing. And so, but I'm a very good person. And, and uh, you know, I think that that's what matters most is that if we live together. And you can believe what you want to believe, and I'll believe what I want to believe. And we can all get along in harmony. And the pursuit of being good feeds into our control issues. It's truth. You see, other world religions promote workspace righteousness, right? Be a good person. If you're good enough, then you'll earn a higher echelon of spirituality. And so all these world religions are, are pushing this idea of works righteousness. But only the gospel is about imputed righteousness. And what that means is that receiving Christ's righteousness as your own. We don't have to do anything. In fact, we just kind of raise our hand and say, yeah, I, I can't. I can't be good enough. Last week, we talked about this, uh, this word justification. And, uh, and I kind of said about how in, in you know, Bible school, they say, like, justification is just as if I never sinned. It's the easiest way to remember it. But I also, in some of my studying, I saw someone else uh, emphasize something, and I can't remember where it was. So someone other than myself, I don't know how to uh, uh, ascribe it to someone, but they wrote in there, just as if I've always obeyed. And I love the idea that justification isn't simply about me not sinning, but it's really the imputed righteousness of God. It's the imputed righteousness of Jesus. In other words, it's not just that I haven't sinned. It's as if I've always obeyed. Think about that. When, when God looks at you, when you come into relationship with the living God, he doesn't look at you and see your failures, and he doesn't look at you and say, oh, they're sinless. No, he looks at you and says, it's like you've always obeyed me. My child, he sees us as his child. Do you know Jesus? J.I. Packer, a, a theologian, a modern theologian, modern day theologian says, uh, once you become aware that the main business that you are here for is to know God, most of life's problems fall into place of their own accord. Isn't that interesting? So many people saying like, but why am I here? Why am I here? If you, if you just come to the realization that you're here to know God, then all of life's problems kind of fall into place in their own accord. Verses 12 through 13, as we continue to move on through the text, he says, not that I have already obtained this. I love that, that as Paul's talking about this imputed righteousness and, and the reality of attaining a, a resurrection from the dead and some of the texts that I've read to you already, he says, not that I have already obtained this or that I'm already perfect. He's admitting that he's not perfect, but I press on to make it my own because Christ Jesus has made me his own. Brothers, I do not consider that I have made it, on, that I have made it my own, but one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind 
and straining forward to what lies ahead. He's not perfect. I love that he's not perfect. I know it's a cliffhanger there. We're going to talk about verse 14 in a second. There's this humility in Paul, and I want to tell you this morning that when you fully understand the gospel and the reality that it's not just about winning the lost, but it's about growing the found, it humbles you. The gospel humbles you. Listen, if, if you're sitting there this morning and you're saying, I know Jesus, I know him, I do, I know Jesus, then I want to tell you you haven't really been humbled by the truth of the gospel. Because when you know enough about something to know you know nothing, then you're right at the beginning, right? You know what I'm talking about because you've experienced it in different seasons of your life. If you're sitting here and say, oh yeah, parenting, that would be easy, till you have a kid, right? And then you're like, now that I know I know nothing, I've just started learning, right? And you've been with the person, if you have no kids here, if you've been with a person that's new on the job and they're like, oh yeah, dude, this is super easy until they realize it's not. And you're like, okay, now you can start learning because you've come to the conclusion that really you know nothing. And I want to tell you that we have to live in that tension of Christ followers. That if you come into a place, you say, oh, I know Jesus. Oh, praise the Lord. I know him. Mm, blessed every day. First off, you talk weird. <laughs> and second of all, like, you haven't begun. You haven't even begun. It's not until you get to the place where you say, I know enough to know I know nothing at all at the wondrous, amazing works of who God is. I'm just at the beginning. Allow the gospel to humble you. That moment of awareness as you're coming around the turn, you're like, I'm killing it. And the bell rings. Ding. What? One more lap? You're kidding. And in that moment, faced with a decision, is it an excuse? Or do I motivate and lean in? What I love that he says in verse 14, I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Paul is saying, I know enough to know that I know nothing And faced with that reality, with my bell being rung, I'm leaning in with everything I've got to pursue the only thing that matters in this world. We are often so passive about spiritual growth. We pursue other things like crazy. I mean, right now, you say keto in a crowded room, people are like, oh, I'll tell you right now. I will tell you. And they just start, like, I put butter in my coffee. Like, you're disgusting, all right? I don't care how much weight you've lost. Your tongue is like a slippery slide, and it's nasty. All right? I don't know what to tell you. But you say certain things in certain rooms, and people will just go nuts, right? Because they're pursuing it with everything. And if you're on keto, you're not like, I'm not trying to talk against you. I'm just saying, like, You say certain things in certain environments and everybody's like, oh my gosh, because they're just pursuing it with everything they've got. They pursue job with everything they've got. They pursue a vacation with everything. That's the answer to everything. If I just make it to vacation, I'm just going to run my race until finally, oh, I just need to get away. If I can just get away, right. Because that worked last year, didn't it? right? We pursue things like health, eating right, exercise. These aren't bad things, right? Until they become the central thing that we pursue. 
We say, above all else, I'm just I'm pursuing this with everything I've got. I'm going to go back to verse 13 where, where Paul says, Brothers, I do not consider that I have made it my own, but one thing I do. One thing. Forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead. Forgetting and straining. I think we have something to learn there this morning. This idea of forgetting and straining. We're not really good at forgetting. We're terrible at it, right? It's amazing the things that we need to remember that we forget all the time. But we say things like, I forgive you, and yet we keep an account. And I think sometimes because of our own fallen nature and our capacity to remember all things that we assume that God has this huge chart in the sky, you know, where he's keeping a tally and he forgets the same way we do. Like, I forget, but I still hold it against you. But I want to tell you this morning, Paul's not just talking about forgetting the mistakes. He's talking about forgetting the victories. It's an interesting concept. Forgetting what's behind me. I forget it. All the good stuff, too. And I strain ahead. You see, mistakes push us down and victories puff us up. We like to remember the victories. We like to tell other people about the victories. And I'm a pretty good person. It's impressive. I mean, have I told you about me? I mean, I'm a Hebrew of Hebrews. <laughs> I'm a Benjamite. Like, I can go through a lot of different lists. Paul's like, but it's all garbage. We can learn from these things, but they should not define us, right? I'm not talking about some fake humility where we're like, oh, hey, I heard you did this great thing. Like, no, we speak not of the past in my household. Like, I'm not <laughs> I don't know what's going on. <laughs> but like, I'm not talking about not embracing the reality of, of the past. I'm talking about not allowing it to define us because some of us are defined by the failures of yesterday. Some of us are defined by the victories of yesterday. Peter O'Brien, a commentator, he says, Paul forgets as he runs. I love that. I love it. I love the idea like, right. Like, as you're running, you're just, you're forgetting that stuff. Like, I don't have time to remember how much of a dirtbag I am. It, it just hasn't occurred to me because I'm trying to pursue Christ, and he knows I'm a mess. I, I haven't even thought too much about how great I am because in light of him, I have so much to learn. I've just begun. Listen, your past doesn't define you. The gospel is stronger than that. Listen to that this morning. Your past does not define you. The gospel is stronger than that. When you say the past defines you, you're pushing the gospel down into something that cannot inform your future. You're making it so weak. And listen, I'm not saying that there aren't situations where you have to make things right in your past. Absolutely. My gosh. There are things that you have to make right. There's times that you owe people an apology. I'm not talking about dismissing the past in that manner. I'm talking about looking at it and saying, listen, who it is that I was does not determine who it is that God says I am. I'm a child of the living God. And because I'm a child of the living God, I have to forgive that person. 
I have to set myself free from that. I have to allow God to set me free from that. I remember in, in college, I was at Nyack, and uh, we were playing a baseball game, and uh, I got put in as a closer, and uh, <laughs> I, th- I was throwing pretty well, I thought, and I could last in a closing uh, situation pretty well, and I hung this curveball a little bit, and this guy, I'm smirking, because I I still re- remember the guy, the look on this guy's face and everything. He was just a huge monster of a guy. If you've ever been in Nyack and you play in the one field, there's a baseball field that faces a building. There's a small, um, like, field stone wall, and then up above that, there's a, a dorm that's built. And the reason I'm telling you that is because there's literally no assumption that anybody would ever hit a baseball that far. <laughs> and this dude uncorked and just crush this ball. I mean, for this, I mean, I was like, oh my gosh. And it went up and it hit the second, above the second window on that building. I don't even know how far away it was for this ball I've ever seen hit in my life. And I remember being like, holy cow, as he's running around. And I'm thinking, that's so impressive. I am so devastated. And I'm sitting there watching as the game goes from a closing situation to a losing situation by me. And as everybody's crossing the plate, I look over and the coach looks at me and he goes, hey, short memory, short memory. And I'm like, right, because I can forget that. You know, like, like they're going to tell stories to their kids about that, you know, like, and, uh, and so, but, but what he said, there's truth in that, Right. If I'm locked up and I can't throw the next pitch now, I can't, I can't move on from that moment because I'm undone. And so how do, you, how do you live life with a short memory? I want to submit to you that one of the contents of contentment is forgetting. Is forgetting. Not in, a, not in some oblivious way, but in a way of saying, okay, God, I'm going I'm to give that to you because I've got to move on. Because you've called me to be something, to do something, to be about your work. So how are you at forgetting? It's interesting because it doesn't just work out in those environments. If you watch any playoff game on TV, if you've ever watched it and if you haven't, that's okay. I'm going to let you know and that's the only thing you ever have to know in case you're not interested. It seems like I have a lot of sports illustrations this morning. I apologize for those that could give a rip. But if, if you see a any type of uh, playoff game, they pull players aside, they pull coaches aside, and they say something like this. doesn't matter the sport. They say something like this. We're going to take tonight to celebrate this win, but we need to get ready tomorrow for what's ahead. Every time. Why? Because it's not over. It's not over. So we're going to celebrate, but then we're going to start planning for tomorrow. We need to live our lives in such a manner that we don't stop and celebrate and set up camp. And be like, we did it. High five. Boom. Now let's just ride out till Jesus comes. Praise the Lord. <laughs> no, we're going we're gonna to celebrate the wins, but we've got to press on. This idea of Paul saying, listen, I'm going to forget while straining forward. I'm not going to stay here. I'm going to forget the drop. I'm going to forget the pain and the hurt and the mistakes. I'm also going to forget the victories. I'm going to strain ahead in all things. Why? Because I just want to know Christ. I'm going to pursue Christ with everything I've got. Verse 17, he goes on, he talks about how we can imitate others. And I love that he takes this stance of humility. Like I've said before, if you're reading Philippians for the first time, you might say like, 
Paul's a rock star. Like, and he's saying, like, do it like me. You're like, no, I can't. But he's not just talking about that. He's talking about this idea of imitating those that have been faithful, surrendered people to Christ. In other words, find yourself in a community where other people are striving towards Christ. Not a community of perfection, but a, a community submitted to the gospel and leaning in, pushing towards, pressing towards Christ. Verse 19, he talks about this idea that it's so easy to be consumed with our own appetite, really. All we care about is our bellies. And he's not, he's not literally talking about food here. He's talking about our appetite, our physical appetite. So whether it's the, the physical nature of momentary pleasures or food or uh, belongings or whatever, like we get so consumed with idols that we lose track of the one that's worthy of our pursuit. And so as we prepare to, to leave here this morning, I want to challenge you to consider what the application is in your life. I want to ask you this question. What is something I can do this week to focus my attention toward what matters most? What is something that you can do? Because sometimes we come together and we just we leave having an experience with truth. But I, I want you to leave this place having conversations with others, willing to say to your spouse on a ride home or whatever and say, listen, I think I need to, to do this in order to, to move towards what matters most. Is it as simple as I want to read a verse a day? I'm just going gonna, gonna to start somewhere. I need to, to have the word of God in my life, so I'm going to read one verse a day this week. I'm going to pray five minutes a day. Five, I mean, I think sometimes we start with like three hours. I'm going to crush it. It's going to be amazing. You know? And we fail. Five minutes. Maybe extend your current prayer time from whatever it is to a little bit longer. Maybe read the devotionals that we provide. The three days a week, you're going to do devotions. How are you straining forward? How is it that you're straining forward? I don't know what it is that God would have you to do this morning, but I know that the text requires something from us. I know that, that God is calling us to forget that which is behind and to strain towards what's ahead, to move towards Christ. So what do you have to do? Is it forgetting? We're going to go into a time of worship in just a moment in response to the word. And, and, and maybe forgetting looks like as I close things up to just sit in your seat a second longer and maybe say, you know what, God, I, I've been really remembering this and I'm laying it down and I'm leaving it here. I'm not carrying that through my life anymore. I don't know. But I know it's something that you have to do this week to move forward. So let's bow our heads this morning. I want to ask you to just consider what the application might be. What is it that God may be asking you to do this morning? What is it that you need to forget or what does it look like for you to pursue the things that actually matter? If this morning it's crossing that line of faith and saying, you know what I need to pursue is, is Christ by coming into a relationship with him. It's as simple as praying a prayer. Lord, would you, would you forgive me my sin? Would you come and be the Lord and leader of my life? If that's you this morning, if, you, if you've prayed that prayer, you're about to pray that prayer, you want to pray that prayer, I'd love to have a conversation with you after talk to you about next steps. 
I don't want an emotional response. I, I want a decision to say, listen, I'm going to pursue God with everything I've got. I'd love to talk to you about it. But I want us to spend a moment in responding to what it is that God's laying on our heart and to adore and give worth to the only person that matters in this world, to Christ himself. And so if you would, let's stand to our feet. And let's enter into a time of worship. Mm -hmm.